Thank you for downloading this episode of the Mac Report Podcast. This episode is brought to you by our subscribers over at themacreport.com. Their support allows us to bring you our coverage of Merrimack Athletics. If you are a subscriber, I thank you. And if you're interested in becoming a subscriber and gaining access to all of our coverage, head on over to themacreport.com today and sign up. If you don't want to subscribe but still want to support us, please rate and review our podcast over on Apple Podcasts. Once again, thank you to our subscribers for making our coverage possible. And now, on to this week's episode. Welcome back in to this week's Mac Report podcast. Mike McMahon with Ian Bouchain. Ian, uh, how are you? Before we get into all the fun stuff, how are you? All the fun stuff. Uh, yeah, we're not doing too bad. You know, another uh, another week, another episode. Lots to talk about. Um, how was your weekend outside of uh, Merrimack, though? Did uh, Did you do anything good? Uh, I no, I do. I always do. I drive my kids around all their games. <laughs> Okay, okay, but it, I was hoping I was hoping was, for a little little something more. What about what about no. the football games? What 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 are your takeaways from the AFC and NFC title games? Uh, well, I was in a rink all day Sunday, so I didn't see uh, on in the afternoon, so I didn't see any of the first game. Unfortunately, uh, I heard it was good. the The Ravens Chiefs game, uh, it was okay. Yeah, okay, I, I didn't see any of it. I saw I saw the, the score, and that was it. I, I saw the second half of the Lions game by the time I got home from Tyler's game. Uh, Sunday night, and that was unfortunate as someone who wanted to see the Lions win that game and move oh, on. So you you saw the choke? Yeah. Well, yeah. When we left the rink, um, when we left the, he had a game in East Boston. When we left the rink, they were up twenty four to seven. I was like, this is great. I was pumped. Uh, by the time we grabbed some food for takeout, got home, put the TV on, it was twenty four twenty four, and I said, what happened? <laughs> So yeah, I, it, uh, I was in the car for the choke, but saw the 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 end of the choke. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah i i saw the I saw the entirety of the first the first game, the AFC title game, and then second, uh, the second game. Uh, I was at my folks' house in the afternoon, hanging out, and the weather that night wasn't great, especially the further north you went. And it took what is normally a 35-minute ride from my folks' house to my place an hour and 10 minutes because mm. of the because of the snow and the roads. 93 yeah. northbound was not plowed. That I, is amazing. I think I maybe saw I think I maybe saw two plows the entirety of the drive home. It was yeah, it was terrible. I don't they did that a couple of weeks ago too. We remember that storm we had on a Sunday morning? Yeah, like yep. a month ago, maybe. Uh, one of my kids had a game up at Triton, so I was driving up 93 in the snow and was shocked at the fact that there was just four inches of standing snow on the ground and nothing was plowed, sanded, nothing. Yeah, like I don't, I, I don't get it. It's that's people wonder why there were so many accidents when weather turns bad. It's because of things like that. When yeah. conditions get worse. People forget how to drive or suddenly lose the ability to drive, um, and that creates problems. But then you mix in, you know, unsafe roadways. That's going to make your problems ten times worse. 
Well, speaking of problems becoming problems ten, times, ten worse, times worse, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's start. Uh, let's start with men's hockey, who were swept by Northeastern over the weekend. Uh, it puts them in a tough spot from a, a, a standings perspective. Uh, they, I mean, look, I, I wrote this yesterday, but it, it is kind of true. I'm, I'm going to keep updating readers on what the pairwise implications are of the remaining games. The pairwise doesn't mean much at this point. Uh, I, I ran the numbers yesterday. It was in a column. If you're a subscriber, you read it. Uh, if not, if they go nine and zero the rest of the way, they got nine games left. If if they go nine and zero the rest of the way, that gets them up to about thirteenth, somewhere in that range. Uh, you know, because other games have to be played. Th- those that simulations run as if all nine games were played. You know, today with nothing else happening, which is not obviously the case. So, somewhere in the range of thirteenth. But the problem is, a they've got to go nine and zero, which I mean, that's difficult to do. Uh, and this, even if that were to happen. It looks like the cut line is going to be probably 14 with the CCHA and Atlantic hockey winners coming outside the top 16. So they're going to get automatic bids. So the pair, I mean, the NCAA tournament, the path to the NCAA tournament at this point likely is going to require them to win hockey East, which means we're probably going to pay more attention to the hockey East standings the rest of the way. Cause it's going to be what matters more. Um, and, and even then right now, they're not even projected to have a home game in the first round. So last year they had a bye and had a home game in the quarterfinals Uh, right now. Again, nine games left and this can change significantly week to week, which I'll go over in a second, but uh, yeah, right now projected to finish 10th, which would put them on the road in the first round uh, projected to face UConn. But again, that can change like one good weekend against UMass and UNH this weekend changes that considerably a case in point would be you Northeastern who last week, was projected to finish with like 20.8 points. Uh, and after sweeping Merrimack, they're projected to finish now with almost 26 because, you know, the, the way the math worked, they it did not expect them to sweep this weekend, and they did. So they were, you know, their projection raises because of that. So they're one good weekend away from getting right back in the mix for probably at least a, a home ice spot in the first round. Uh, it does seem, though, Ian, that they're – going to more than likely be playing in the first round. I mean, they're not, I don't think they're eliminated yet from a first, from a, a first round bye. but it, I mean, it would be almost, it, it's almost impossible really. I mean, it, it would take a lot. They're currently uh, eight points see. out of eight, eight points out of a first round bye. right now. Yeah. The first round by the first round buys would be BC, BU, Maine, Providence, and Yukon. And the problem is, is Maine, Providence, and Yukon Oh, no, Maine and Providence all have games in hand on Merrimack. Merrimack only has nine games Maine, left. Maine has three games in hand. Yeah, so, I mean, that that's the issue. That's the issue. And, and that's why UConn is projected to finish seventh, even though they're they're in, what, fifth right now? Uh, yeah, fifth. They're projected to finish seventh because UMass and UNH both have games in hand, three of them. Three so, of them, yeah. you know, they're projected to pass them in, in the final standing. So uh, I, I, I think the focus at this point has to turn to them competing for a home ice spot in the first round. Getting to six, seven, or eight. I think yeah. that's that's now going to be your goal. Get into a spot where you can host in the first round and anything can happen. And realistically, I think it's it's probably, I mean, it, it, we're probably talking about seven or eight. I think six is going to be a stretch. because Yeah, especially, right, because right, we're talking about UConn being bumped from the current five spot 
in both teams that you already talked about, UMass and UNH, right behind them, just separated by one point. They they have 19 points. UConn has 20, but both those teams have three games in hand. So that's a possible nine hockey East points on the table right there. And all of a sudden you go from 19th, 19 points to 27 points. And that puts you just outside of first place or yeah, just outside of first yeah. place. And not only do they have three games in hand on Merrimack, they also got a seven point lead. So it's, you know, seven points up with three games in hand. For both yeah. UMass and UNH, the, the likelihood of Merrimack catching either of those teams, I think, is is very very small. Um, you know, again, it would require like an eight and one or nine and zero oh stretch to finish out the year. Probably, probably. Yeah, and we also have to take into account, right? Aside from this weekend, after after Friday night against UMass, there are only three more home games on the schedule mm -hmm. the rest of the way out. So you're playing what? five out of your last eight on the road, including the pair up in Vermont, yeah. who is also ahead of you in the standings. So that helps. I mean, the fact that they still have Vermont in the schedule, and it looks like, the way I kind of see it right now, if you look at the projections, it looks like Vermont, Northeastern, and Merrimack are going to finish 8, 9, or 10 in some form. Uh, so you're competing with those two. So the fact that you got swept by Northeastern hurts because not only did it put them ahead of you, but they now have the tiebreaker. But you can kind yeah. of get some of that equity back if you sweep Vermont in a couple of weeks. So like that series now becomes and, and also New Hampshire. Yeah, exactly. If you, can, if you can take care of New Hampshire too, you're taking six points away from them. And though two of those games now that UNH has in hand are like, you know, the the, the value for them is is almost what it should be for you, you know, because they're trying to catch six points and keep that and keep that distance from Merrimack and UNH. Yeah, UNH is a very, very difficult schedule. Their their way out. They're 16th in the pairwise right now. UNH is. They only the eight of their eight of their final 12 games are against teams in the top 11, which is insane. Oh. You know, they got BC three times, BU once, Maine twice, and UMass twice. All teams in the top eleven, like that. That's a tough stretch. The big thing for them too in that is that main series is at home. It's at the Whittemore, I believe. Yes, because yep. they already went up to Alphon once. So uh, it's a, it's a tough road, but I, I do think at this point we're talking about home ice. Like, and really, the the math suggests they're competing with Northeastern and Vermont for eight or nine. Uh, which really probably means, honestly, it looks like it's it's Vermont, Northeastern, Merrimack as the three teams with the most likely chance to get that last home ice spot. There's a chance that you, I mean, if you if UConn falls here, uh, there's a chance that they get into that mix and it's four teams competing for two spots. Um, I think six is going to go to either UNH, UMass, Providence, you know, one of the teams that doesn't get the buy. Uh, I, I think that's what that what six. That's more, a little more likely what six is going to be. Whichever team loses out on the first round buy, because those teams it, like they're kind of in a different tier, at least right now. Um, but I think you know UConn. These teams can catch Merrimack included can catch UConn. It's going to be difficult because even I mean even UConn right now, they get twenty points. Merrimack is twelve. Like they're eight points back. That's almost three games. Yes, they have no games in hand. They each have nine games left, but they've to catch UConn, they've got to be three games better over their last nine. 
that's hard. Like that, that's going to require like if UConn if UConn goes four and five, they've got to go seven and two just to to catch them. UConn's schedule down the back half here isn't isn't all that easy too. They have two with Providence, two with UMass, two with BU, two with Northeastern, and then they finish out the year with Vermont in U uh, at UConn. So. Yes. They still have they have a gauntlet pretty much the gauntlet that Merrimack just went through in uh January, having to play BC uh and UMass back to back weekends. Uh UConn has that as well with UMass and BU at the tail end of February. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's why I like it based on again, like the strength of schedule ratings, UConn has believe it or not, technically the easiest to- in totality strength of schedule remaining. Uh, Northeastern, second easiest. Merrimack, third easiest. Vermont is the toughest of, of those four. Uh, Vermont has the toughest schedule remaining. Yeah, but again, like it, it's all relative. And, and look, I don't think Lowell's going to get themselves into the conversation. I don't. Uh, they're only one point behind Merrimack, but I think I just don't think they, they score enough points to – or score enough goals to really make themselves competitive. And by the way, all of a sudden over the last month, defensively, they've been atrocious, which is usually their bread and butter. Um, yeah, they got lit up by Providence on Friday yeah. night. It's really, I mean, it's it's been bad. I mean, they've been, they've, I think going into last weekend, they had allowed like four goals or more in six of their last seven or something. It was some, some crazy number. Uh, so I, I think Lowell's not going to get out of 11. I, I don't think they've got the firepower to pass anybody. I mean, they do have a game in hand on Merrimack right now, and they're only trailing them by one point. So it is theoretically possible. But if you were to ask me, I, I just think Merrimack's a better team, even though they didn't get great results against Lowell earlier this year. Uh, I, I Even with some of the injuries, I, I think Merrimack's a better team. Yeah, and just going back to the Wolf, they've given up four goals or more now in eight consecutive games. That's going all the way wow. back to Eight consecutive games. Yeah, lost four to two at Holy Cross, four to three against AIC, uh, four to three against Omaha and Arizona. Lost seven four. Uh, I'm sorry, beat Harvard seven to four. So even in a win, yes, they gave up four goals. Uh, lost five three and seven two at Maine. Lost seven two and four three last weekend against Providence. So eight straight. So the one win that they have in there, they still gave up four goals. It's crazy because it almost looks like they're trying to open things up a little bit because they weren't scoring any goals in the first half or just, just certainly not enough. But in and doing so, open up. They, yeah, in doing so, they've become a, a defensive liability, which is usually what happens. I mean, it's, you know, it's one or the other usually. That, that's 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 amazing. I, that That's very, very unlike Lowell teams. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Goaltending here, um, it, that continues to be a uh, big thing, just kind of shifting gears here. Um, we saw Zach get the start on Friday night. He got pulled about five minutes into the third period. Um, it wasn't immediately following uh, a goal. Scott made sure to mention that in the post game afterwards. Um, but it was, we saw Hugo come in relief, and then Hugo came in. And got to start on Saturday, and we're still circling the drain here as far as where do we go with the goaltending? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, we're kind of in the same spot we were a week ago, it feels like, where you could kind of make an argument for for, for either guy. Uh, 
But again, like I, I still think they need someone to what they really need right now. And when you have a, a team that has gone through the injuries that they've gone through this year, to counterbalance that, you need a goalie to play above his head. Like you need a goalie to start stealing games and to play just mm-hmm. out of his mind. And and that's not fair to put on one guy. You know, it's it's not. But the teams that typically survive th- this type of injury stretch are the teams that all of a sudden get like nine fifty goaltending, which is just you know off the charts. I I don't know how you feel. I feel like coming out of this past weekend, I, I Friday night against Northeastern, I thought was a combination of a lot of things. Uh, there were some just brutal turnovers in that game, which is a trend that is creeped up here and there uh, with this team this year. So like there was a couple times where, where Zach got just hung out to dry. Like, it was no question. Uh, I, I felt like Hugo played a little bit better. So I feel like if you're going to go with the guy that you feel like played better the previous weekend, like on Friday night, probably go Hugo. Also, you've got in, in your back pocket that Hugo beat UMass just a couple Hugo of weeks got ago. The, yeah, Hugo got the win. And it's not, you know, Zach didn't play terribly at UMass no, on Friday night, no. the night before. He play, I thought he played really well that those, weekend, too. Yeah, it, it's just one of those things where, hey, it was a couple of bad bounces, too, that beat Hugo on Friday, or I'm sorry, on Saturday in the Northeastern game at home. Um, it. He didn't play terribly, um, and like you said, he, that trump card is, hey, he's already beaten this team once this year, and it was here. Exactly, and that's why I think I lean. It's a slight lean, but I lean Hugo. I mean, I really, I think you could make an argument for either guy because they, they were both about the same last weekend. If 51-49, Hugo. Yeah, like, I, I think Hugo was marginally better uh, over the course of, the, of that Northeastern series. Um and then the tiebreaker, even if you say they're tied, I mean, the tiebreaker is he beat UMass two weeks ago, whatever it was. So I, I think, it, again, and now what do you do? Well, I think you probably come back. If it were me, I think I'd come back with Hugo on Friday against UMass, and then you're on the road at UNH the next night, and then it becomes, once again, well, how did Friday go? <laughs> like, if you're telling me they beat UMass 4-1 to one again and Hugo makes 25 saves or whatever it was that he made against UMass a couple of weeks ago, I'd probably go with Hugo the next night against UNH. If they lose the game or if they win the game five to four and, you know, he gives up four goals on 18 shots or something, then I'd probably go Zach against UNH. I I think Saturday, again, is going to be predicated on what happens on Friday. But you got to kind of figure out. I feel like at this point, you got to figure out the first night first. And that's where I I would probably go Hugo. And then you predicate, you know, Saturdays, well, you got to see what happens on Friday first. Yeah, no, it, it's a it's a seesaw, right? You're sitting on the playground. Oh, here we go. We're going this guy. Nope. Okay, that didn't work out. We're going to the other side. Nope, that guy didn't work out either. We're going back to the other guy. We're just going back and forth, and it's a, and it's a bad spot to be in, you know, especially when you're trying to piece together wins here late because they're so critical to you know regular season standings and trying to get into hosting a, a game in the first round of the playoffs and and everything that it comes with. But, you know, when you're not getting goaltending to to kind of help you steal a game here or there when you need one, kind of like Northeastern got on, on Saturday night, um, it, it, it's a lot tougher to win games. Yeah. And, and that's where, like, things have gone sideways. Uh, I, I wrote about it yesterday. But, like, you look at some of the negative momentum swings that they've had. I mean, 
so, so most of this month. Like it, it's amazing how many goals they've given up in bunches. You know, Northeastern on on Friday was three goals in like seven minutes in the second period, and same thing on Saturday. It was uh, two goals, I think, in like two or three minutes or whatever it was. Holy, you go back to the Holy Cross game. It got a two goal lead in the third period, and Holy Cross scores two goals in like a minute and a half or whatever the time frame was. Ties the game, and that game now goes in overtime. The first game against UMass out out in Amherst, they gave up a bunch of goals, I think, in a short time frame. Uh, the BC, both BC games, same thing. One blew a lead, the other. I uh, was three goals right at the beginning of the game and you were never really in it. So it's that's like those moments where you need a couple just out of your mind saves. And, and maybe that pushes the momentum the other way or it gets the team back. I, I don't know what it is because usually those types of issues don't happen with veteran teams. They usually happen with younger teams where it's just, you know, they get too highs, too high with the highs, too low with the lows. But it feels like for whatever reason, they can't stop negative momentum. And, and like, there's not a lot of counter punching when they're getting hit with flurries. And that, that to me has been probably the biggest issue over the last month is, is, is just that like there, there's, there's something missing when they get into those moments where the game starts to get away, that they have a hard time, you know, landing a quick counter punch and then getting themselves back in it. They kind of sit there covered up, taking blows and then all of a sudden you know they're they're on the ropes and 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 it's it you know it's done so i don't know what because this was not an issue last year so like it's hard to kind of pin. maybe it's the injuries you know that's definitely a part of it i, I think yeah it helps. i definitely i definitely think that you know it having... helps like in those situations if you're getting counterpunched a little bit and you can just have alex jeffries get the puck in a stick and go down and make a one-on-one play and score a goal it helps right <laughs> so yeah, being without that guy is, a is yeah being that's a that's a weapon that you don't have. Um, and, and there was others like that last year too, but like, it also makes me wonder, we talked about this, I think back like in early January, but this is where you miss, in my opinion, this is where you miss Jordan Seifert. It's where you miss those types of guys where they're kind of a heartbeat and in, in the emotion of, of your team that when those negative things happen, like it kind of gets squished, you know, pretty quickly. Yeah. And that's, it feels like they're missing that element that he brought. We talked about last year, how important that stuff was that he brought to the table, that emotional leadership. And I know like, you know, it was, it, he was animated. There's no question about it, but like, I, I do think there's something to be said for having that guy to be like, Hey, no, this is not like we're stopping this right now. And if it means I got to go out and, lay a body on somebody or I got to go out and get my body in front of a puck to get my, my bench riled up and to get us back in this game. That's what I'm going to do. Like, that's where it feels like they're missing a guy like him where when this stuff starts to get real negative and, and there's stretches where that starts to happen, it spirals like, and that's where that's kind of the frustrating part is you look at it and you go, Hey, the, the bulk of these games, they're, they're playing just fine in the, in the overwhelming minutes, they're playing just fine. It's like, they're fine for 53 minutes out of a 60 minute game, but there's a seven minute stretch where just all hell breaks loose and they give up three goals. And that's the difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you were talking about it earlier, right? They gave up, they gave up two goals in a minute and 13 seconds on Saturday night. That's what it was. Two goals in a minute, 13 seconds. You go from being tied yeah. to chasing the game. And then Northeastern scored uh, about halfway through the third period. And all of a sudden now you're chasing you're chasing two when it's just it such a mentality tough enough. Yeah. It, it's, it's a tough chase, right? You know, you're, you know, you're already down. You're, 
you're behind on the board and you're already pushing things, you're changing lines up. I mean, they addressed eight defensemen. We didn't really talk about that. They had eight def- eight men going on Saturday night and only 11 forwards, so that was something different too. But yeah. that that was partially, you know, health-wise to only, you know, to being limited with with guys that can, you know, dress and, and give you everything they got. Yeah, well, it's funny because, like, you know, Scott Bork said it was not necessarily health-related after the game, when, when we talked to him after the game. I, and I think that's true. Like, they, meaning they had healthy forwards who could have played on Saturday. I, I just think they looked at it from a personnel standpoint and said, you know, we're better if we have if we dress the eight defensemen. Yeah. I think health played I mean, a role. Like, if Jeffries and Chase Stevenson were both healthy, they're they're dressing 12 forwards on Saturday. Yeah. If one of them was healthy, they're probably dressing 12 forwards on Saturday. Uh, I, I think it was more of a looking at their personnel that is available and, okay, do, do we dress a seven uh, – well, an eighth – because you're, you could dress seven defensemen anyway with the extra skater. It's do we dress our eighth defenseman or do we dress a 12th forward? Yeah, it just it becomes a toss-up, right? What are you more comfortable with? Are you more comfortable rolling out four sets of Ds and you're not necessarily going to get all eight guys playing? I mean, at different times we saw Christian Felton jump up and, you know, he was kind of playing that was a fourth-line center role. Yeah. You know, so we saw that at different times too. Zach Bookman jumped up. He took a couple of draws. Uh, he took a draw as well, so he got some time, you know, playing playing up as well. I mean, it's not that he doesn't naturally jump up in the plays as well, but it changes things when you can roll out a guy in Bookman and still have, you know, your top defensive pair out there and a guy in Dennison and Felton. And maybe that was because, you know, I'm curious. I'm curious on the thinking behind that because I see both sides of it. I think part of it was, hey, we're dressing eight defensemen, and they all kind of took a regular shift. So Felton and Bookman didn't play as many minutes on D as they usually do, probably not you know, much less, but two or three minutes less. So they maybe they take some shifts at forward to make up for that and still get them on the ice. I imagined the other night when we saw that line chart that they were – what I thought we would have seen was three sets of defensemen go pretty regularly. That fourth pair gets kind of sprinkled in if somebody's tired or whatever. Yeah, shift, like after a, a penalty, or two, something yeah, like that. shift or two a period. Uh, and I thought they would have rolled four sets of wings with three centers. And basically your centers are getting an extra 25% uh, ice time. or to, you know, to, to They're each taking about, well, about a third. They're each taking about 33% of that ice time that would have gone to the regular fourth-line center. I, I thought that was what we were going to see. Um it was, I mean, which is fine. I'm just, there was different options and ways to do it. I wonder how much of it was, hey, Bookman and Felton are, are important to us in terms of like things happen when they're on the ice. Good things usually happen when they're on the ice. So we want to get them out there as much as possible, knowing that they're probably taking left sh- less shifts on D because there was an extra pair dressed. Yeah, no, no, definitely. It's, you can you can sprinkle in guys here and there, right? It gives you chances to, you know, allow you know you're you're just shifting up lines. You're you're getting different looks. You're getting chances for for guys that may not necessarily get a chance to play together outside of practice, you know. Or hey, we may throw this you know this grouping here together, you know, following a penalty or following a power yeah. play if we've kind of built up a little momentum and you're and you're moving along with things like that, but. It, it'll be interesting to see how uh, how Scott wants to turn things back around here this weekend and, and whether or not he, he opts to kind of go that same road again. 
Yeah, I mean, if, if the health situation doesn't change, I think they probably will. You know, uh, I think they probably will. I, we'll see. Uh, turning our attention quickly to basketball, uh, Bud Clark the other night on Saturday had, as far as I can tell, uh, you know, Pretty I don't have performance. Records. Yeah, I don't have records that go back to like the 80s or the 70s or anything like that. But from what I could find, it was the most points scored by a freshman in a single game that has been recorded <laughs> in quite some uh, time. Yeah, maybe ever. I mean, they they record obviously career stats and season stats and stuff like that. But it, from what I could find online, the game by games only go back so far, and I couldn't find a game. It's going back to like the early two thousands where a freshman scored more than twenty eight points. There was a bunch of twenty eights. I think Javaris Hayes had a twenty eight point game. Uh, you know, there was a couple of them in there. I think there was three or four 28-point games, but I couldn't find anybody with a 30-point game, uh, and that's what Bud Clark did the other night, not to mention, you know, what he does defensively and and I think leads a team in assists as well. So uh, pretty good showing for a freshman guard, and it just seems like, I don't know, but, like, they, they keep finding these guys. Uh, obviously, you know, some of them have, have moved on and transferred. You know, Javon Bennett obviously went to Dayton, uh, Malik Edmead, a really good freshman year, sophomore year, transferred to Albany. Now he's back. Uh, he'll be in action next year. He's gonna, he's redshirting this year, but uh, they've he's just the next one, right? Javaris Hayes was another one. Like when he was playing, they just they seem to be able to find guards. Like they're they're really good at finding and developing guards. That's just there's something in the water, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I I think the other thing too that I'm really pleased with, anyways, was. Just the overall look of the game, right? Merrimack realized early on that they were going to be able to, you know, exploit some of their matchups, especially with guys like Bud Clark and Jordan Dirkak, who again, another double-double, 15 points, 10 rebounds. Um, they only attempted 17 threes in the game. After, um, what, 41 I, last week? After 41 <laughs> last week, yeah. So that number is down. They attempted 11 in the first half and six in the second. They made two in each half. They went four for 17 for 23.5% from behind the three-point line. Um, they shot 40% from the field, 24 of 60, and they were 75% or 76% from the line. They were 22 of 29 from the line. That's, that's um, really the separator. Yeah. I mean, uh, St. Francis went to the line 17 times. 12 in the first and five in the second. So, I mean, it's just Merrimack was locked in. And I think that Saturday just showed that, yeah, okay, this team took a couple of punches a week and a half ago, you know, first week or two in conference play. They started 3-0. and You know, the hype was there all over again. They took a couple of punches, but I've liked how they responded the last week or so here. And doesn't get any easier. Get another, yeah. uh, another good con- – Another good contest coming up Saturday afternoon uh, at Lawler too. Lawler uh, Lawler basketball on Saturday. Looking for a little redemption against a team that beat them. One of the two NEC teams that they've been beaten by. Central Connecticut yeah. comes to town. And they already they already even things up with Wagner one exactly. and one. Yep. So another chance there. Uh, it got me thinking too with Clark's performance. It feels like this team is. I don't know that they're as. I don't know that they're as good as last year, right? That will be determined as we go through the the league tournament, right? 
I do think that they're better in certain areas, and one of that is, is versatility. Like it does feel like they're a much more versatile team. Not that they weren't versatile last year, but last year a lot flowed through the post between you know Ziggy Reed and Jordan Minor. Now, with the emergence of Clark as as an offensive threat, right? You've got Savage who can through shoot threes. You got Dirkak, who's kind of a combo guy. He can obviously shoot the ball. He can also drive. Clark's become a threat shooting the ball. Jacob O'Connell had a 26-point game a couple weeks ago down in the post. It feels like they can attack in different ways this year where maybe – I don't – one I hesitate to even use this word because one-dimensional is the wrong word to use. They were not one-dimensional last year. But it feels like offensively they're a little more versatile and can attack teams in different ways than they did a year ago. They might not be great at anything the way they were great down low last year, but they're really good at everything. And you know what I mean? Yeah, this, 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 you already went through it, right? This team has so many different ways they can beat you. And again, we just talked about it looking over the numbers from Saturday. A week before, they were relying on the three point ball. They put up 41 attempts this week. They're like, okay, change of plans. Well, we're not going to, we're not going to rely on that as much. They beat guys off the dribble, they use matchups. They set screens, and they put up 17 this week, and they still won by a handful. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's again, versatility. Uh, we have some Twitter questions, do we? I don't have yeah, to go we back do. and find them. Do you have them in front of you? Yeah, I got them right in front of me here. Uh, why, don't, why don't you pull them up here? Because uh, we're, yeah, well, we're running low on time, and I am in a different window on my screen, and my computer's not cooperating. Yeah, we got we got a couple minutes here, so we'll uh, we'll rifle through them. Uh, we didn't talk any basketball here on this show, so we'll lead off with the basketball one. Uh, at Mikey B four underscore three wants to know. I know Merrimack football haven't officially released their full 2024 schedule yet, but uh, thoughts on some of the matchups they've already scheduled. Um, I know I know we kind of already talked about it too a couple weeks ago, um, but I think I think they got a good they got a good mix of. You know some some opponents that we've seen on the schedule before, some people that or some teams on their schedule that could potentially be future conference opponents in the Patriot League. Um, and we've talked about how being you know independent, even though they don't officially have that label, is going to allow you to get some of those bigger name and different uh, different schools on your schedule. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I like the the couple FBS games they have. Uh, one of which is local, so I'm sure they'll make that an event, right? Uh, an alumni event and what and what have you, going down to UConn, uh, and just seeing some different teams. You know, Colgate, Fordham, uh, Dartmouth, I think is in there. Maine coming coming here will be a big game. So yeah, I I think they've put it's a challenging schedule. Don't get me wrong, uh, but I think they've put together a good schedule. It's good to see not it, it, to have it not be so repetitive. You know, see some different teams. I think should be fun too. Uh, a little hoop, little hoop action here. Uh... From Zach Ferris at Z Ferris, uh, any idea on the status of Jacob O'Connell? Also, thoughts on how Elliot Black mm. uh, has looked in his place. I thought Black was good uh, this past weekend, especially uh, chipped in. He had ten points, six rebounds for a guy that you know you're not really expecting a whole lot out of. You know, yeah, you wanted to see a little bit more out of him in your lineup, but uh, I, I think he's looked good uh, in the time that he's he's been out on the court. 
Yeah. Yeah, me too. I don't I don't know the status on O'Connell. I'll see if I can find out uh and and we'll put a story up if I can. Um but yeah, I I watched the game, you know, a little bit of it live on Saturday. Most of it I watched on Sunday on demand. I thought Black looked good too. Uh there is a little bit of a difference there. You know, I I think with O'Connell obviously you got a lot of experience. A fifth year guy, grad student, you know, like, played a lot of games, played a lot of minutes. Uh, he's going to have more experience in there, whereas Black is kind of getting his experience. So you may have some more growing pains uh, with with a, a less experienced player on the floor. Um, but look, so far he's been he's been excellent. So uh, I think he's been really good, especially in a role that he probably didn't figure on having th- this year. You know, and and if O'Connell was healthy, probably wouldn't. So. Uh, making that look, it's like everything else, make the best of your opportunities. I think that's what Brian Atumu did too. Uh, I don't think he was kind of penciled in to get the minutes he's been getting so far, and he's been very good as well. So, uh, if those guys continue to develop the way that they are, they should be in good shape moving forward. And, uh, lastly, here we'll, we'll, we'll re- hit a uh, hit a little hockey action here. Uh, Marcus, uh, our fellow member of the media. At Antonelli <laughs> I7JR said, Love the song change for Merrimack player introductions at hockey. Whose idea was it to go from Wells <laughs> to Skrilla? Well, first like and foremost, Marcus, first and foremost, Marcus, pull one out for levels, okay? Because that was a brainchild of myself and my buddy Cam and Connor. So, um, no offense to you guys. Levels was no, good. No, 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 no. Levels was I, good. I, 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 I like it. the change. I like changing it up every every now and then. And I, I turned around, too, and I said that afterwards. I said I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about it. <laughs> but now I've got a couple uh, couple of lineup intros under my belt with the new music. And uh, i got to say, it's uh, it's grown on me a little bit here. But uh, Levels will still always, uh, it'll it'll always come on. And the first thing I'll want to do is, is read off a lineup. So that, that, that will never, uh, that will never fail. But uh that is a good tune, and I do like it. It's more of a basketball-style yeah. intro for folks that uh, haven't had the chance to hear it. Um, come on out Saturday, or come out Friday night, hear it at Lawler for Hockey, and then come back on Saturday and catch how I introduce the team for a basketball game. It'll kind of be that same tone and, uh, and same dictation that I use as a basketball lineup. I know we are running out of time, but it, it sounds better on the new sound system. That song, the, the new song they're using now would not have worked in the old system. There wasn't no, a bass absolutely. Would have sounded all distorted and terrible. So yeah. uh kudos to the new sound system. Yeah, no, I'm I'm definitely I'm definitely a fan of it too. But uh so real just real quick here, Mike. <laughs> whose idea those, was you know whose idea it was? Uh, I believe those... it came directly from some of the guys on the team. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I believe uh, I believe it came from a couple of guys on the team, and if I'm that's not how it mistaken, usually works. Yeah, it might so it might have cool. been led by Ty to know if I if yeah. I have that correctly. But uh, well, I like it. Before so. before you have to ask me, people can find me on Friday night at Lawler. They can find me on Saturday night at Lawler, or Saturday afternoon, and then probably most likely on Saturday evening up in Durham at the Whittemore Center uh, on Twitter at Ian Bo and on TikTok PA Guy Bo. Uh, I will likely have the same schedule. <laughs> trying to get that sorted out too i'm traveling next week so I, I also have to time find time to like you know pack and stuff and get laundry done um but in any event uh thanks ian as always we'll be back in just a minute sage what about this stick i like the orange in it no mom what is this this stick is so dusty there's no more genos left in it i can take it from here mom 
What kind of tweet are we looking for here, bud? Just a stick so I could toss sauce Chef Boyardee style. Something more apples versus buckets. Yeah, as long as I could still snipe Bar South and Sally. All right, I got the perfect tweet for you. It's going to be this stick here, mid-flex point stick. Completely accurate for buy down every time. This is awesome. I love it. TSR Hockey. We speak your language. All right, we're here with the head coach of the Merrimack men's hockey team, Scott Bohr. Coach, getting ready for a couple games this weekend. Uh, different opponents, though. There's a couple series like that in the in the league this weekend. You guys got UMass at home on Friday, hitting the road to face UNH for the first time on on Saturday. Uh, preparing for this weekend, I know it's it's kind of full steam ahead on UMass first when you've got weekends like this. Does it make it a little bit easier where at least one of these opponents you, you just played a couple of weeks ago, so there is some fam- familiarity with them? Uh, there's no no doubt that, uh, and they've only played one game since they played us. So uh, there's not even much to review because they've only, they've only got one extra game uh, since that game. Um, but it, it, it's helpful in that regard, just as far as prep is concerned. But they could change things, as obviously they may. Um, but I, you know, in the second half, this is the first time I actually remember there being uh, split opponents on a weekend. Uh, typically in the second half, it's always been the same opponent. That was almost like a scheduling priority. Uh, I think that's how it should be because I'm certain there's not teams in our league that are doing this. You know, we're doing it this weekend, uh, and UMass, I think, is also the other team that's doing it. I don't think, and, and obviously UNH is, and um, I think it's BU's the other team. But either way, I, I just um, – you know, I'd rather play in the second half, prepare for one opponent, play them both nights, uh, you know, do your in-between game preparation. Um, but it's it's a different animal, and it is an animal you'll face if you are lucky enough to advance. So um, maybe it helps your staff get used to that and your players. You guys have had a lot of close games at UMass, so I think, you know, as much as maybe it's uh, not good for people's blood pressure, but you may see one of those again. It seems like no matter what, uh, when you guys play them, it's always close. Uh, but I'm curious, when you look at UNH, too, just – They've had a resurgent year. Uh, what have you seen now that maybe you've taken a closer look at them this week? What do they do well? What have been some of the key components to them turning things around? You know, honestly, um, I don't spend a lot of time on Saturday's opponent till the Friday game ends just because I want, I want the team's complete focus on Friday. So I want my complete focus on the same thing. Um, and I just am ready to admit when the minute the game ends, I won't break down our game. I'll break down UNH. So I, I literally, we have not seen an opponent that has played against them. Uh, so I, I haven't seen much of them. I do know their team. I know their players. Uh, I think they've gotten much more consistent goaltending this year. Uh, they didn't really lose anything from a, a really good defensive call last year, but they added uh, at least one player in Brendan Fitzgerald, who's very talented. Uh, and does a lot of really good things on the back end. Um, and I think they have a, you know, what, what, what looked like at the beginning of the year when I did happen to see them for bits and, and pieces, they have a um, more consistently uh, successful offense because it's simpler. You know, their exits out of their zone are simpler. They're not over, you know, they're not making the extra pass as much. And they just, they're trying to drive the pace by driving pucks towards your net, whether it be from their own end or from the neutral zone. Um, which in the past, I think they've overpassed a little bit, which I know myself working at UNH, being on the big ice, that's very easy habit to get into. And um, I think that that, that happened to them. Uh, I think they're a much more direct team right now, offensively and defensively. And, and they're, they're going to be a really good team moving forward, I think, the rest of the season. Uh, for you guys specifically, obviously, we had the, 
the lineup on Saturday with the 11 forwards, eight defensemen. You guys have still been dealing with some injuries too. Uh, what does that status look like in terms of guys uh, this weekend? I mean, obviously you guys were a lot of people last weekend. Uh, just the, the general health situation, it seems like it's been a common theme, but uh, where does that kind of stand going into the weekend? Uh, well, we don't have eight defensemen to play, so we won't certainly dress that lineup. Um, but we're trying to see if we can get some guys back up front. Um, you know, I think it's it's uh, it's just been a long road in that regard, and it's it's funny. I it, it's a real grind for the coaches who are preparing practice. You know, you practice. You know, you want to practice a certain way, which is requiring eight or nine defensemen because they're obviously defending situations. They need their a break. Um, but we really haven't, we haven't been able to do that this week and we really haven't been able to do that much this year because our numbers just haven't supported it. So we practice a little differently, which, you know, I, I think that has lent a little bit to our, you know, where we are today, frankly. Um, but it is what it is. You just have to deal with it and move forward. So, um, tomorrow, uh, we'll go into the thing. I believe we're going to have 12 forwards that are ready to go, uh, potentially 13, um, you know, and we'll have six or seven defensemen uh, that will be ready. So, um, you know, everybody's you know here to be a player. So it doesn't really matter who's in the lineup. You just got to go out and play. I was talking to another coach yesterday who's had, you know, a, a, a stretch this season where they were dealing with a lot of injuries, but not anything near where you guys have had. I mean, from a – I haven't done the math, but from a man-game standpoint, you guys are probably up there near – uh, the top and or near the top in the country with especially with a guy like Brown out for the whole season but he was saying like in, in practice it you almost kind of your heart skips a beat sometimes in practice you got to practice hard you know you got to have guys making physical plays in practice so that you're ready to play on the weekend uh, but is that been a concern like in terms of maybe when you've got those hard physical days in practice where there's a lot of physicality that you got to try to balance those types of drills to get you game ready, but also like we, we really can't afford to have somebody else go down here. A hundred percent. And that, that's a constant uh, concern when, you know, just trying to get better at certain things. Anytime you're trying to play without the puck, obviously you want guys to be physically able to be physical and, and lean on each other. If not, you know, go through each other. Um, and we just haven't had that, you know, opportunity, even to the point of not uh, letting guys, you know, shoot pucks on the look power play because we don't have a lot of guys left to play on the PK. So we, we need to make sure that the guys that are there are healthy. So we're moving the spots, but we're not playing in a scrimmage situation, which is ideal for special teams. And it, uh, you know, it is what it is. I, you know, it's funny. My, I forget which year it was, but there was a year that I was at Lake state and we played uh, Michigan state. We're on Mason. They had six defensemen for the entire year. They didn't have a seventh defenseman. They six the whole year. And now I'm like, in this, I've thought about this before, but starting to appreciate how he was able to be as good as they were with the numbers that they had um, and how he was able to practice his team into that level of play because they were really good and very successful that year. Um, but it's, it's a real challenge. It's something I struggle with every day. Just the, how can I make sure we are physically on target uh, we're teaching the grind, we're supporting the grind, but yet, you know, making sure we're keeping one eye on our health. And that's that's been a tough thing this season. Uh, we've talked a lot about Ty Deneau over the course of the year, uh, really picked up around Thanksgiving, obviously, from an offensive standpoint, and had a couple goals again last weekend. Uh, he's got 10 now, which is, I, I think, you know, by the time it's all said and done, he's going to end up having one of the 
best freshman seasons from a goal scoring standpoint in you know probably the the better part of the last twenty years uh, for for this program. Um, doing it at, at the age I know he is too. He's an 04, but he's a late 04. Uh, how impressed have you been at his development over the course of the season? Because it seems like he's taken a big step from you know October 13th at Arizona State to to where he is now. hundred uh, percent. I uh, you know I think it's all come with his confidence. Um, he's a really like. He obviously can shoot a puck. Everybody knows that now. Um, offensively, he's instinctually very, very good. Uh, but he also, what he's done over the last three, four months is he's made himself a much better defensive player. So he's in the right areas of the rink when we don't have the puck. So that when we get it, he's able to play off of it immediately. So his transition has been much stronger in the second half than it was in the first half, which has put him in more scoring opportunities. And he's finishing. Um I, I, I'm really impressed how smart a player he is and how good a player he is without the puck because, you know, when he was playing junior, he had over 40 goals last year, and they weren't asking him to play defense. They weren't asking him to do those things. They were just asking him to score. Uh, so he arrived on campus as a scorer, but I think now he's become a real 200-foot player, which is going to lead to him scoring more. So I've been really impressed with that. And um, and the good thing is he never stops shooting. Like, he'll you know, in the power play, you might see him miss it one time or he might blow a puck wide. He might do something that's not good, but he'll shoot the next puck that comes to him, you know, and it's pretty cool. So I, um, I've been very impressed with where his game is at offensively. Uh, last weekend as well, you guys had over 70 alums back on campus for alumni day and, and obviously honoring Ron Anderson before the game. Uh, that is one of the biggest groups I can remember, probably one of the biggest groups since you've been here in terms of active alums who came back for that event. I looked down at the bench before the game and didn't even see like, you know, there was, it was packed in terms of the ceremony before the game and the number of guys that were packed into your bench. Uh, how cool is it to just to see that number of, of former players uh, back in the, back in the rink? It, it was, it was, you know, I can't even describe it because, um, it was something that I don't think people at Merrimack thought could happen. Uh, I really don't, you know, the last couple of guys have, uh, left the program with, you know, some bitterness. Um, and at times that's leaked into the alums, um, and to have the alums put that behind them and come to the rank to support Ronnie, to support the program and more than that, to support their school was really exciting. I talked to several of the alums who had not been back to campus in over 20 years uh, who are blown away by the, how the campus looks right now. And we're excited about the future of Merrimack College, not just the hockey program, but Merrimack College. So um, it was a really well-done event. Uh, Chris Ross did most of the work on that. Uh, Kieran Cullen from the athletic department and Lauren Dembski from the uh, alumni office, they kind of put the finishing touches on it and did a really good job with the reception and different things that went on that uh, day. But it was, it was a great event, and, and I was really pleased to be part of it and so proud to be the coach when Ronnie went into the Hall of Fame. It's way overdue, um, but it's great to see someone get the recognition they deserve when they get it. Awesome, Coach. Well, hey, I appreciate the time as always. Best of luck this weekend. Okay, hopefully I'll see you after a couple of good games on Friday and Saturday, but I appreciate the time as well.